Hello everyone, this is me, Parviz Rafiq from uh, Physics Foundation podcast channel. Uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Klaus Schusterreder, who is working as a uh, general practitioner in the Montrose, Switzerland, and he has lots of experience in treating uh, different people in different, uh, in, in different countries through the through the homeopathic uh, treatment so we would like to we are very pleased to have him on the show and first of all i would like to ask him to tell us more to tell us about himself uh, by his own words so please thank you Pavich. yes my name is klaus schuster either originally from austria and uh, i've had a um, the great opportunity to work in Central African Republic for a few years. My career actually started in cardiovascular surgery and from there I switched to general surgery. And then I switched to internal medicine. And then I went to Africa and the African experience was uh, absolutely <coughs> enriching and a fulfilling experience because Medicine in the Western world is a very specialized discipline, whereas in Africa you really have to do everything. So there is nothing like specialized medicine in Central African Republic. You have to do surgery, uh, obstetrics, pediatrics, uh, internal medicine. So it really allowed me for the first time to see um, disease and suffering from a systemic Point of view, and that had a big, big impact on my further career. When I came back from Central African Republic, I further had the opportunity to work in psychiatry, and that again was a very, very important uh, step because neither during my medical studies and nor through the years I was doing my trainings in the West. I learned a lot about the psyche, but the psyche is, is an absolutely crucial tool and step and part of the evaluation uh, of people who are sick. Um, so I really had wanted to learn about psychology and psychiatry, so I was working about two and a half years in psychiatry, which was great, allowing me to have a quite, an ex- a quite broad and um, deep um, understanding of the body and and the mind. So Africa, come back to this period of my life, never uh, the African experience never finished. I still go there and if it could extend um, from Africa to to Asia. And um, that's a great, great privilege for me as a as a medical practitioner because leaving my culture and to see what the health problems are of other cultures is uh, giving me just a totally different uh, horizon and um, not just regarding the healthcare problems of other cultures but also regarding my own culture because leaving the own culture and going to somewhere else allows us to see the own culture with uh, uh, from a different perspective. So there are interesting phenomena going on um, globally, um, which I could already just understand by comparing, let's say, African phenomena with Western phenomena. And one of these phenomena is that we have in the West by far much more diseases than we have in, for instance, Central African Republic. The healthcare problems in Central African Republic are basically epidemic disease, obstetrics, and surgery, and pediatrics. Um, whereas in the West, we have all sorts of other different conditions like degenerative diseases, which also exist in Africa but to a much less extent. And we have a lot of uh, systemic diseases, meaning autoimmune diseases, and also oncology is a much bigger problem in the West compared to Central African Republic. Now the question is, why is it possible and how is it possible that we have uh, such a variety of diseases in the West, whereas we do not have it 
in um, uh, Central Africa. And the first um, idea of a possible answer I got when we had to leave Central African Republic for the birth of my first daughter, where we had to go to a town in Cameroon called Ngandere, which is in the north, uh, east of Cameroon. And it's um, a place where you can see already a lot of Western habits and Western food, and you can see in uh, in in Gandre uh, a lot of Western health problems like diabetes, hypertension, um, and uh, so there is certainly um, a culture-related, food-related component when people walk away from their traditional nutrition. It has a big impact on um, different levels of human existence, and um, um, which can then translate into, for instance, diabetes. But the issue is much more complex, and I don't want to go into that right now. But a conclusion I came to is that basically those people I've seen in the countryside in in African. African countries, not just in Central African Republic, but also in other countries like in Zambia, Cameroon, in Guinea, uh, you can see that the population is much more vital compared to the urban areas of Africa, and certainly much more vital than uh, in, compared to the Western world. So what does it mean, vitality? My vitality means basically the ability to adapt for me. That's the way I would translate it. So if you're very vital, you adapt to stressful conditions in the external world or mm-hmm. in the internal world. So there is a, 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 a change of vitality in the West. And one way how that translates in the West is that we have a clear problem to reproduce in the West. Mm-hmm. Whereas you don't see this problem in, in other parts of the world. Exactly, yeah. Okay, thank you. So uh, we know that you have you also established a foundation, uh, the Physis Foundation. So, so we would like to also know some the the, the reason why you established this foundation, and uh, can you explain what what your foundation does? Mm. The idea of the foundation uh, is basically to study new um, treatments or therapeutic approaches uh, in the field of epidemic disease. And what I saw when I was living there was simply that the conventional approach, which comes from the Western world by treating uh, epidemic diseases like malaria, hepatitis, um, tuberculosis, uh, HIV AIDS is an approach which can work under certain circumstances, certain under certain circumstances when you have got um, certain infrastructure, when you have people with a certain level of um, training. But in the rural parts of Africa, certainly Central African Republic, you cannot implement these approaches which come from the West uh, because it's an environment where you don't have the conditions allowing to run such programs successfully. What does that mean? Like in Central African Republic, which is a country like France, um, we were 30 doctors for the whole country on the, in, in the, out of the capital. Out, in the capital there were probably 100 doctors, something like that. But out of Bangui, the rest of the country, you have 30 doctors and each doctor is responsible for a population in average of 100,000 people. So you have to find other ways to reach people and it has to be a way which is not doing any damaging because that's one of the big problems in conventional medicine that mm-hmm. classic pharmacology can produce important side effects. So I was thinking about what would we need, what would be the idol for areas like Central African Republic to help the population there and I came to four parameters which are um, important to be respected to run a project in a way so that we can reach a large part of the population. And first of all, um, an approach has to be safe. That's very important. 
in a second and has to be cheap so that everybody can afford it and it has to be effective and um, it also has to be uh, uh, simple in its use right mm -hmm. so when an approach is cheap simple effective and safe uh, you basically have uh, uh, a situation where prescription is not dependent anymore on the health professionals. So suddenly you can go and train other people mm -hmm. who have basic knowledge about certain diseases. So they have not done their medical studies which last years. So you train them and you give them the medication and you instruct them how to do that. And once they go out and they treat people and they see results, they um, see the impact very quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, so that means by bypassing the conventional healthcare system, um, you can reach much more people. And this is basically what we need because with the conventional system, we just cannot reach the number of population which which needs help uh -huh. okay so so the for the the basic idea for the foundation was just first to, to do some research and also to reach as much as people possible mm. to help them that those who are suffering a lot and since you are practicing in some cases with homeopathic uh, medication mm. how do you see how do you define the homeopathic approach and what are the differences with, with the current uh, system? Mm. Well, homeopathy was a great inspiration uh, to develop uh, such approaches like I just mentioned, which are safe, effective, mm. cheap and uh, simple to use. So homeopathy is a healing system that exists since 200 years and what you basically do is you dilute a substance or, or a plant or a mineral um, and, and you dilute it to an extent where it basically has no molecule anymore in in what you give to the patient but that does not mean that there is nothing in it and there is actually a lot of evidence that clinically evidence there's, there's no doubt for me at least that clinically you can see clear provoke provoke clear results with homeopathic medicine meaning diluted substances but there's also a lot of um, non-clinical evidence uh, coming from physics chemistry and even biology and, and, and that um, information can be stored in water and um, when you can store information in water, the question is how would a drop of water impact an 80 kilo person? And, um, and if it does so, I mean, you have in a drop a bottle of 10 milliliters, 200 drops. So you would have 200 doses in one little drop a bottle. And in a bottle of 500 milliliters, you would have 10,000 drops. That means you could reach 10,000 people with 500 milliliter of uh, this kind of new medication. So homeopathy uh, has been a great inspiration, but the problem with homeopathy is that you have to individualize uh, in a very, very detailed way so that the medication you apply um, triggers certain effects or can trigger certain phenomena. And very often, it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a difficult thing to do because you have, again, you need many years of training experience to really to get good results but in 2005 what happened is in 2005 when I started working in Central African Republic I was getting in touch with a kind of second generation homeopathy and it's homeopathy um, which is called homeopathy for disease and I personally question if it's the right thing to call it homeopathy for disease it's more what it does it's disease specific information that triggers um, resonance mm -hmm. in in the human body and in the human mind through by, or by impacting um, uh, the water of the body. Water is in the mm -hmm. cells. There is the water, of course, in the um, environment around the cells. So this is a really, let's say, absolutely modern twenty first century 
new approach to impact um, the defense system of, uh, of human beings. And what I saw in 2005 was that we got absolutely incredible results in people who were suffering from HIV AIDS. And how that did happen actually was, you know, it's a chronic disease and uh, so it's lasting over years and very, if people don't get treatment, I mean, people gonna die from it after a certain period of time. But what we saw is that those people we started to treat with this uh, information in water approach was that these people came back after a few few weeks and said, uh, so, you know, uh, something is different. I'm hungry now, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's a good sign when you have lost already 20 kilos and suddenly you are hungry. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I tried to support them. And um, then we saw, yeah, they put on weight and... And then they, you know, when they put on weight, they have more strength and then they uh, resist better to all sorts of stress. And then uh, malaria is a big problem in Central African Republic. And then you see they have less uh, attacks of malaria or they can have malaria. The way they develop malaria is different. So you see all sorts of modifications through this, uh, through this approach. And actually in 2006 already, I could organize a little clinical trial together with the Ministry of Health and uh, the uh, um, National uh, Center for AIDS and uh, Sexual Transmitted Diseases. Um, but we were running into all sorts of problems in 2006. We had a t- team of four doctors. Mm-hmm. It was in Africa? It was in Central Africa, in Bangui. And what happened there, we put together this, uh, we called it a pre-clinical trial, where we were looking into patient situation with clinical evaluation, lab results, taking pictures. And unfortunately, one of the doctors has been killed very soon after we started. Two left the country because they had an opportunity to do some further training um, in, in, in Senegal. Uh, one left to France and the other one got another job better paid, so it was difficult to build something stable. But the, the, the data was coming in clearly, uh, slowly, and uh, for me, it was so unbelievable. It was so unbelievable that I was struggling so much with these positive results. I thought, this cannot be. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, so I remember I would be in the hospital in the morning, I would see patients, papers of patients would come from far away. You know, sometimes they will walk three days just to come back to pick up another bottle and to get mm-hmm. treatment. And they would say, well, you know, now I'm hungry and I don't have enough money to buy mm-hmm. food. And of course, that creates all sorts of suspicions. So, well, they just want to have some money now. I don't know. Yeah. So it was, it was a difficult thing to evaluate. But over a year, you see, well, there are some people better. And, and sometimes you have those who are extremely better. And you have those who are not better. Yeah, there is, there is never an approach which is a hundred percent helping a hundred percent of people. So it over since two thousand five, two thousand six, we saw these results, and they were already from other countries in Malawi. Um, data coming in that these people, these people are better in HIV AIDS, and and that was of course an era where we didn't have uh, antiretroviral medication available in in places like Central African Republic, which is still not available all over the country because the political situation is so complex. But that's, that's again something, you know, healthcare is such a complex thing that you cannot just reduce something to provide medication. I mean, you need to have the conditions to provide medication. When you have a war area or zone, things get incredibly complex. And then you also need to have some people who can do this in a structured way so you need mm-hmm. some training and need at least people who need to know to read and write a little bit. So it's healthcare is an incredibly complex thing. We in the West, we are often not aware of the complexity of this issue. So the foundation basically was uh, an idea to study this or other approaches too, but basically the water-based approach in a more systematic way together with uh, officials and governments and um, doctors to produce uh, results 
so that we can show clearly there is something very important here which could have um, an impact beyond imagination if we really continue that and apply it and make it available for people. That's, that's so interesting and so great that you have experienced the impact of the homeopathic approach and uh, we also heard and saw the result. So that's great opportunity again for us to having you and thank you for sharing all these uh, stories with our audience. As, as we saw that you in your life so far you achieved different objectives and you have different goals and uh, excellent ex experience by serving in different countries. So we would like to know when you have been most satisfied in your life by having by working in different areas and treating different types of uh, diseases. Yeah, there have been probably a lot of moments which are very satisfying the, in my daily practice. I mean, I'm always very, very happy. It really gives me a lot of satisfaction just to see that people are better. There is something I still cannot really grasp. Uh, I experience when I see people better. I see that already in the waiting room, but there has been, um, I think there has been two experience which are probably uh, most uh, important and this was this year first uh, beginning of the year when I had the opportunity to go to Afghanistan and to help people suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome treating young soldiers coming from uh, the battlefield and just to see how they improved within an incredible short period of time like 24 hours people who have got pains couldn't sleep or mm -hmm. agitated or anxious and you give them one drop and you see them better the next day it's absolutely unbelievable absolutely. if even now after years it's again the same thing I don't get it in my brain mm -hmm. yeah. and it's something so beautiful because you go there again the next day and you see these people are so different okay. you can almost feel that this person is different mm -hmm. And this is, there is some beauty into that. And I, 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 I think about it again and again, how to describe that, because it's, it's so hard touching. And, and at this moment, you forget about everything and you forget about all the efforts you made. You forget about the risk you take. It's just about the result. And it's, it's making me very humble too, at the same time, because it's just, um, tremendous gift that I could uh, come in touch with this approach. The other moments were in June this year when I was in West Africa in Guinea, Conakry, where we had an opportunity to treat people with uh, sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia is actually a genetic disease and it provokes um, deformation of um, red blood cells and uh, it provokes a, a, a occlusion of um, uh, blood vessels and that leads to tremendous pain and sometimes children are so much suffering from this and um, so we started treating people there and we could see especially with children already after 15 to 30 minutes a significant improvement of their of their uh, pains and that's you can almost see it in their eyes and it's so so uh, unbelievable and, and you can see again in children you can see that the vitality in children their ability to adapt of course nobody would deny that is of course of course much better than of uh, an adult or old people so you know in, in medicine the way the reason we became so specialized in medicine and what it actually did do at the same time it really disconnected us from having the bigger picture of getting a bigger picture of healing because it's very important to see uh, different ages like children that was great when I go to Guinea or like in Africa Central African as I said you have to work with children you know, see how they improve and how there's a certain dynamic how people improve and by working with this approach I really can study how, how healing fall, falls into place 
So it, it's, it's not just that I see in this very particular moment, the person is becoming better after 15 minutes or an hour, or they come back the next day and they come back and, and, and are just very grateful and happy that they are better. It's really for me going to such places like uh, West Africa or Asia is giving me the opportunity to stand, to understand better how healing happens. There's a certain mm -hmm. dynamic behind healing and you can all just understand this dynamic by looking at the whole, not just at the body. You have to look at the psychology, psychological level too. If you don't do that, you're going to miss an important part of the individual evolution. So it's extremely rich for me going to these places and fulfilling. And it's also about that I learn each time very about specific diseases. I didn't know very much about sickle cell anemia, but then I realized sickle cell anemia is, is it's, it's not just a big problem in Africa, but it, what's interesting is a genetic disease, but all sorts of stress factors can become the trigger for a crisis. So it can be life, can be mental stress, can trigger a crisis sickle cell anemia, it can be menstruation in children, it can be climatic change, it can be all sorts of other things. So again, you see how much adaptation and reaction plays a role in, in, in disease and that's what needs to be studied mm -hmm. and improved and modified the way an individual adapts to stress to improve. So it's very, very rich. Um, but the most fulfilling moments are really when you see the patient and look in their eyes and you see and, and and I mean you all I still doubt that's that's mm -hmm. that's the thing I mean it's good it's good in a way you still doubt is that really is is that true what they tell me mm -hmm. and then you know I said to myself why should they make it up and then you can see yeah, how they, they move differently and 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 you can see how they talk differently but it's very important to produce objective results like in sickle cell anemia, you can see that the hemoglobin, which goes very much down, uh, goes up. And um, um, in age of age, you would look at the conventional parameters like CD4 cells and the viral load and malaria. You would look at the uh, thick drop and of the fever, the fever, of course. So the objective parameters are very, very important, not just because uh, it's... Um, it's part of the bigger picture of the evolution, but it's also very important because there are a lot of people that don't believe what I'm talking about. And uh, we want to get this to a level where we have enough data or evidence. I think we have it already enough, but every case is important to get a body of evidence that speaks for itself. Exactly. So really that's, uh, I would call it, it's a win-win for both sides, for you as satisfaction and for them, you, you, you're creating a kind of hope Within 24 hours or within 15 hours, you're creating a hope for them that they were fed up yeah. with yeah. their problems. So that's yeah. really impressing. Yeah. And uh, before moving to another question, I would like to also ask, is it only the sickle salami, salami, oh, I'm, I'm even Anemia. not pronouncing the name, it's only in the, in the African countries or? Uh, um, it's, it's a big problem in African countries. Now, to be honest, I don't know how much of a problem is it, it is in other parts of the world, but the so-called hemoglobinopathy, uh, you have different forms of, of um, pathology of the hemoglobin, uh, different variations of pathological variations of the hemoglobin. You can find that in the Mediterranean area, and um, but to be honest, I don't know too much about it. Uh, okay. So... Somehow about the epidemics, about the epidemics. I know about the clinical picture mm -hmm. in Africa, about it, but about the global epidemic uh, data, I'm, my knowledge is very limited. Uh -huh, okay, so it, I, we know that every successful man that they are struggling or they are doing something for the humanitarian uh, cause, it's, it's really noble and it's really appreciated. And it's true that when they are starting some steps to, 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 to do something, to change in the life of the people, mm -hmm. obviously there are some obstacles <coughs> and there are some barriers. Mm -hmm. And we would like to know about 
What was the biggest ob obstacle you faced and how did you overcome with it? Well, first I want to go back to what you said, that when you can help somebody within a very short period of time where they have suffered for years and suddenly children see that they are better after 30 minutes or let's say a day, I mean, that has a huge impact on the relationship you're yeah. going to have with the patient. They see, ah, I was suffering over so many years and suddenly I feel better. Mm -hmm. And and that's that has it gives that people trust you, mm -hmm. and that has that that's something extremely powerful, and um, that cannot be underestimated the level of trust you can create within a short period of time. And I became, I would say, very very sensitive to this issue, because um, I really apply that not just in my professional life. I try really to built trustful relationships in all parts of my life so when I say that uh, I do something that I really do it or if I can't do it that I say listen I don't manage to do that to this point because mm -hmm. trust is the base between uh, exactly. human interaction communication and trust mm -hmm. it's not just communication it's about trust too yeah and so that's that's giving them hope and then Absolutely. is yeah. I think this is a very very important point what you said the um the question was what the ob obstacles are right exactly yeah i would say the, the the biggest obstacle is actually the limitations we put ourselves on healthcare professionals uh regarding the potential the human potential and the healing potential of the the uh, human being because we live in a paradigm in medicine which is a Newtonian Cartesian um, corresponds to a Newtonian Cartesian understanding of the human body, which basically is telling us that we are a very complex uh, machine, and this machine we can fix by adding subs substance, a molecule, um, let's say a drug, and yeah. we fix the problem through something external, and we do not actually well, teach systematically healthcare professional professions how to trigger um, or modify the, the, the patient or support the patient in a way that he can heal himself. Mm -hmm. and, and so what happens actually is when people go through six years of medical training, um, they come out of university with a certain mindset Mm -hmm. And and they, I would say from personal experience that most people adhere to this mindset the rest of their life, mm -hmm. and whereas there is a minority who, who who, who stays open minded and and questions that, and what the phenomenon we have in the West, especially in the West, I would say less in in low-income countries like in African countries is that the population now starts questioning this paradigm and there's a kind of conflict coming between the healthcare professionals, the healthcare system and the populations so mm -hmm. people are less and less satisfied but the, comp the, the issue is a bit more complex than, than, um, than that the problem with the paradigm is that it's um, mm, one of the results of the paradigm is that we think in diagnosis, which is certainly a helpful thing in healthcare. You say somebody has a certain diagnosis and you know what you're talking about, basically. Mm -hmm. You have an etiquette, a label, and you know, okay, these are the main pathophysiological phenomena, etc., etc. And this is, let's say, the, the usual radiology results, etc., etc., or the blood results, etc., etc. But what it does not really tell us is about the individual experience of the patient. The individual experience of the patient is very much on the sensational level. How does the patient feel? So, meaning, if we really want to understand what the patient experiences, we have to listen to the patient. And that listening is an art. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's, it's exhausting, it's not an easy thing to do. And the other thing is that we have to observe the patient. How do they move? How do they talk? How do they... And to get an idea of how they think. So we are so used to technology that we go to 
uh, radiology, blood results, etc. All these objective results where uh, this is part of the bigger picture, of course, in helping us to put diagnosis, but to really understand of what the patient is going through, we have we need to have an approach which is much more patient-oriented. And this is important because if you do not know what the individual experiences, how do you want to evaluate any change? Uh-huh. If you really want to get it in a detailed way, well, if people are clearly bad, they're going to say, I feel better. But what is better? You can have a patient who says, well, you know, I have, let's say I have patients who come back and say, listen, my pains disappear. I feel mm-hmm. clearly better. But psychologically, I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I even have suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. So is this the right dynamic, what we need? Obviously, no. Yeah. It's not the right thing. What's the point when you get suicidal thoughts and may kill yourself and your pain is gone? Whereas if it's the other way around, when you have a good patient who is depressive and you know, and he said, I never had any pain since five years. I just don't feel anything in my body. And then you, have, uh, you help these people in a way that you change their reactivity, meaning you impact their vitality. And they're going to say, well... I feel clearly better. I can sleep better. I have more energy. I'm less tired. Uh, I'm less depressed. But I mean, I have a terrible backache and I don't like that. But I know at least from an evaluation point of view, well, something is happening here. It's happening in the right direction. Uh-huh. So the okay. thing with the, 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 the paradigm is it's, 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 it's the core problem we have in the West currently that we do not understand the self-healing capacities of the body. We don't know about the upper limits mm-hmm. of it. So you can say, I feel, help- I feel healthy, I feel good. Yeah, but you still could feel better, right? Yeah, exactly. So you could still improve your mental capacities. Instead of memorizing 10 items, you might be able to memorize 2,000. So mm-hmm. we don't know the upper limits of uh, human evolution. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's... The philosophical, medicosophical this discussion about the paradigm that we need to look at disease and human potential in a different way is so obvious. And it's what's interesting is that there are doctors in the West who 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 totally integrated the Cartesian view in medicine in their daily practice, and obviously it's very limited. But when when you when you see people from developing country going to first world countries to, to study medicine they are even worse with this <laughs> paradigm they stick even more to that they are kind of proud that they adapted to the to, uh, to the western mm-hmm. world view where let's say in um, <laughs> how could I organize formula that in, a, in a, let's say post-modern science mm-hmm. medical view right yeah. We, we would leave behind the Cartesian few in medicine. We would move on to something, what I, I personally call it, the, the post-Cartesian few in medicine, where we f- focus much more on the inherited healing potentials we have. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's, that's the biggest challenge I would say we face uh-huh. in, in healthcare. It's about the paradigm, the mindset. The mindset uh-huh. we, uh, we, we see which the mindset gives us a certain perception of things, mm-hmm. right? And if we go with an open mind somewhere and see, here's something interesting. I mean, I don't know what the mechanisms are behind, but I use a scientific method to study it. I mean, it's still scientific. You would mm-hmm. say, well, there's a certain dynamic how people improve and you're going to study that and you have a hundred cases, you have a thousand cases, you have 10,000 cases, and then you see a certain certain scheme, mm-hmm. a certain dynamic, how, how such an incredible phenomenon like the human being improves. And, um, and as I said, we don't know the upper limits of this uh, evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, and uh, at this point, I would like to have your, also one of your advice for our audience and uh, those who are listening to our program. Because you have an excellent experience by, by 
doing different things in humanitarian fields so to to give them an advice if they if they see something as an obstacle in their life how they should treat that one mm. do they should stop or they should tackle so what's your advice to our audience mm. well, obstacles very often results into suffering so we have an obstacle and it becomes very quickly a kind of pain <laughs> um but there is it's very much about the attitude when we face an obstacle in a proactive way and we go towards the obstacle or suffering i'm going to use the word suffering now or pain and we approach that in a proactive way it does something physiologically within us very different compared to when we have to experience that in a passive way where we kind of um in french we have the word subir i'm not just looking for the english word where we have no choice right if there is no choice we have to experience the pain because there is no alternative like we are the victim of a situation right mm-hmm. uh the victim attitude and the proactive attitude have two different physiological responses within us uh, so i think it's very much about the attitude how we face suffering and pain and and then it's also about the responsibility i mean we have a certain goal where we want to go that day or or the way we want to live or generally in life and there is an obstacle coming up okay so how how are we ready to lift that are we ready to take the responsibility and say okay good i have now this challenge in my life i have the back pain or i have the headache mm-hmm. um but while well, i'm going to deal with it because i want to move on and uh, see my objective becoming a reality mm-hmm. and and you know when you have meaning in life when you know this objective is important this goal is important it it, it gives you meaning to your life responsibility i believe in that very much gives you meaning then i mean you you take the pain mm-hmm. you take the pain and and you see you add value to other people that's and you take risks in a different way that that's another very interesting phenomena that in the west you know because we are so satisfied on the materialistic physical level we have enough to eat nobody's starving uh, almost everybody has uh, a head above a roof above the head so you're not forced to take risk mm-hmm. uh, and to make efforts like in other countries where in central africa i mean they go in central african republic through Uh, a political revolution every 10 years usually with a civil war and a lot of people die and mm-hmm. and and I can talk about my personal experience I have had malaria so many times and and I mean I I know the victim mode too I mean I was in the bush you know you're in the bush and you lie there with 40 degrees fever 500 kilometers away from any infrastructure and and I mean it comes to some point into your mind say why have I been so stupid to come here <laughs> right everything is painful i'm lying there for the degrees somewhere in the bush mm. and might die why i'm so mm. stupid but when you have gone through that you see well it's actually a great thing when you have been in a very very difficult place mm-hmm. when you have been almost dead you really appreciate life when you know you can lift the weight there is an obstacle but you're not victim to the obstacle you can get over the obstacle You see, well, I can manage that. That's very empowering, right? Exactly. And you believe in yourself, and then you realize what other people say around you is not the point. You have to believe in that, and you have really to act from deep inside where the resources really come. So, to deal with obstacles and suffering is is just a, a very important part to discover what you can do and who you really are. If you're not ready to take that, will not discover who you are. Exactly, yeah. Thank you. So another question what comes to my mind that well with all these projects and uh, this experience that you have, 
where do you see yourself and your foundation and your vision in the next five years? Yeah, I have a lot of dreams. <laughs> I'm a big dreamer. Yeah, the, the, what came out this year was something really, really beautiful. You, we saw that by going through different places and, you know, things to modern communication, everybody has a mobile phone, mobile phone even in developing countries. What kind of emerged at some point was a really new idea of how to take care of other people in other parts of the world uh, through a concept which I would describe as following. Um, we apply medication or new approaches to impact vitality um, for free. That should be for free. We do not, or let's say low cost, so that it is really affordable for everybody. That could be part of a program, a government program where people, the governments pay Let's say for a whole area, 300,000 people, this new technology and they make it available for the population. Whereas the follow-up um, consultations uh, should be paid by the patient because if it doesn't cost anything, it's not very much appreciated. So, and the doctor has to put their time or the nurse. So that should be paid. And so the question is, how do you document that? You need a, a system of documentation to, to do the follow-ups and, and which kind of parameters do you take? And there is all, of, all sorts of technology that allows us today to do documentation in a different way. To some extent, we do that in the West, that we take a picture of a patient who has got a skin problem and you put the picture into the, into the medical record. But why shouldn't we take videos, right? Why shouldn't we integrate all sorts of the lab technology in low-income countries, but you need then the infrastructure, but you have great technology which can be made available for epidemic disease. So you can do the testing in a very effective way to know what's the problem. This is hepatitis, this is malaria, this is HIV AIDS. And then you provide uh, the treatment, but still people have to pay for it some amount of money and this is where the income comes for a clinic so you need a kind of I'm talking here about a business model you need to run clinics because you have to pay the employees and that's again something I saw very clearly when I was living in Africa that things are so dysfunctional because medication is too expensive and then the doctors have to prescribe a lot of medication to generate the income because they don't get the salary from the government, etc. That creates all sorts of um, negative uh, feedbacks. Uh, and um, so by making medication available to a price which is affordable for everybody and by making an income through consultation and lab results and by really improving the quality of people, uh, uh, you you really add a lot of value to these people and they're going to pay for it, a little amount of money, but it's about the quantity. Like when you see 100 patients a day, which is technically possible, let's say you see 50 patients and do all the testings and you get a minimum of symptoms that you really understand what's going on with the patient and you have, let's say, five doctors or nurses you train because they not necessarily be a doctor, it can be a nurse too, mm -hmm. uh, but who really has the capacity to listen then you treat 250 people and they all pay and you generate an income for the clinic and you can pay everything, you can have a decent clinic and that makes a clinic um, give them a model of auto-financing themselves and makes them independent from the government so we can create autonomous healthcare treating treatment units mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in rural Africa which is, which is so important. So the next five years would be great to develop as much units as possible um, in all over Africa, uh, or even we're thinking about mobile units. That's, an, that's mm -hmm. a new idea, which came out of, <laughs> of China. Um, and uh, so that we really go to very isolated places where we have a mobile unit, meaning a car or a little truck and we have the lab integrated in, in the truck and we do the testing and then we give medication to people in the village and they're going to treat this person X, Y, Z for this condition 
and the medication is cheap, effective, safe and simple to use and uh, that's the way to reach uh, a lot of people and by everything I'm learning through that um, and that it would be great to teach as much as possible over the next years to find more people who are interested in this kind of uh, thinking uh-huh. okay great so did you have any any uh, hard moment that you that you that made you to rethink about your approaches in while you experience during this year regarding the vision that the service that you provided to to in different places yeah there were many probably mm-hmm. <laughs> they come all about two to three months <laughs> rhythm it's really about the aha moments are when i really open up and say well i do not limit myself to a certain aspect i really look into other components like one of the aha moments this year was clearly well why don't we just take the phone numbers of the people in afghanistan and we call them from switzerland and we follow them up what is the challenge here you need somebody who speaks the language mm-hmm. so you find somebody in switzerland who speaks the language uh, in afghanistan is uh, is is possible and um, and 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 then you need to train these people so that they have a minimum of knowledge how to follow them up and then you see the people in afghanistan how surprised they are that they get a call from switzerland and to find out how they're doing and then we started doing the same in in africa the, the point here is that it's i had to integrate something totally non-medical like communication yeah. through the internet and my knowledge about communication technology etc is zero so i have to open up to somebody who knows something about it mm-hmm. and to pick the people who are capable to be innovative and see ah this is something really new and by putting together two components mm-hmm. two components which are complementary you create something new and this is a kind of thinking which corresponds very much to basically the way i started evaluating patients when i talk about a sy- systemic evaluation and not just a, a part of the picture but looking really at the bigger picture but in a way we create the bigger picture in healthcare now oh, okay. so that's the thing by going into fields which are non medical we suddenly see ah we have we can call these patients from europe we follow them up we produce data we see how they are doing and now the next idea is why don't we just create the online record allowing people to do their own documentation mm-hmm. it could be a, an application on the phone that people just go to the app and say well here is my record and here's they all of so all sorts of legal legal constraints to consider too mm-hmm. but you have to give responsibility to the patient or somebody in the community who has the ability to listen and to evaluate so mm-hmm. technology really makes the big difference mm-hmm. great so so basically you're using the triangle approach you're approaching directly to the patient while you're in the field and then you have some people in the ground to follow up and then there are people who are doing the follow up Mm-hmm. communications with the patient directly with the patient mm-hmm. so it's yeah with within mm-hmm. this kind of for first it's for for it's our job to understand what does reality look like there i have had no idea about central africa before i was living there and even now after years i'm sometimes still so surprised i mean how could i miss this part there's still a lot to learn you need to be open in intercultural collaboration you need to be open you cannot allow yourself and say we have a top down thing i know how it works and you don't know it's not working that way you have to stay open to understand that these are the challenges there and they they learn from you and i learn from them and at some point it it's it's so rich it's becoming so rich but you have to stay open whereas if you don't understand the reality you don't have let's say this the slightest the slightest clue about what the reality is 
you will not be able to develop a model that's working. It's first about the evaluation and see what reality looks like. And that turn, in order to understand that, you need the locals, mm -hmm. you need the people there. A great source of information, a missionaries, Western people who have lived there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And you must be humble, you must be kind of admit that you're stupid about this issue in the first place, because mm -hmm. if you don't realize you're stupid, you will never grow and become a master. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm stupid in technology field, in, in certain cultural things, you have to stay humble, and yet you have to recognize there's some knowledge you have in other fields, and that's mm -hmm. where you add value to other people, and where things become complementary. Uh -huh. That's great. So we know that uh, first, again, I would like to thank you for sharing all your stories and uh, experience that you had. But we know that uh, someone like you, that uh, he has this kind of big vision and he handled different projects and in a circumstance that was quite difficult and was struggling first himself in a, in a with his life that he was suffering from, as you mentioned, that you were suffering from malaria. You, we know that behind this kind of successful people, uh, in their mind, maybe there were some role model or someone that they, they talk it as, as, as their idle person and to follow in their path. So we would like, or maybe our audience would love to know, who was your idle person hmm. and why you choose that one? Like a kind of role model. Yeah. There, there are my scientific heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I have my scientific heroes. And then there were other people who were very inspiring. And again, I think uh, with the internet, something has really changed for me because when I discovered certain people in the internet and I saw how they're talking and how committed they are and how much uh, sacrifice they make to attain they, how they much sacrifice they make to attain their objectives uh, it gave me a new idea a better idea of uh, what I really could do and um, I think in 2015 or 16 it was uh, when I discovered Dan Peña uh, on the London Reel um, show and that certainly had a tremendous impact on me because he is not just um, he's not a medical person he's not a scientific person it's was just all about the personality and he's a business guy but I, he had a big impact because I I just had an, also a new idea of uh, um, what it can look like to be a man and um, and and that's 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 when you have a role model or an idol or a hero. Um, then I mean the question is what do you identify? What is it that speaks to you through that person? And um, so Dan was certainly one of these these people because I realized. Uh, through his whole attitudes, through he walks through life, uh, um, it gives it's giving him a lot of freedom. I, there are things I do not like so much about him, and it's 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 a pretty violent attitude he has. <laughs> but um, I just pick the best from everybody I can, and um, so. Um, but there is another person, you know, they're kind of changing. Um, mm -hmm. The one I really learned a lot, and I even mentioned some of it in the last uh, during this interview. Some of the ideas actually come from him. Uh, meaning uh, Jordan Peterson, clinical psychologist from Canada, where I really think what he says is that really resonates with me, and then I integrate it, I listen to it again, and then it's becoming part of myself. And then the question is, what is really coming from me? You know, you pick up something from one hero. Mm -hmm. a second one, a third one and you see, well, he's, he's there already where I want to be why should I miss the opportunity to take what he has already gone through exactly, yeah so should I be uh, arrogant and, and, and um, uh, blind or not listening but I said, no, I have to go through the experience 
and work it out all myself. No, I just take it and run with it as good as I can to go to a level where at some point I might be able to um, to uh, to build something new. Maybe one little detail, which is really then coming from me, and that's I think how society evolves that we all make a little contribution so Dan had certainly an important role in Jordan Peterson and uh, uh, in the scientific uh, world it was certainly of Capra who, whose book I all I read all his books since the age of 15 and I also had an opportunity to meet him a few years ago Austrian uh, physicist uh, uh, who wrote a number of uh, world bestsellers and mm-hmm. um, I think uh, uh, yeah these are probably the most important people mm-hmm. there were others but these are the most important okay thank you so much well uh, thank you so much first for giving us the time and uh, doing this interview and sharing your experience with with our audience it's great pleasure and we will promised our audience that we will have Dr. Gauchester again and we're going to invite him to, to share his stories and his experience with our channel and so thank you so much and have a nice time. Thank you very much.